You're listening to Good Business, a podcast that inspires business leaders to continue their pursuit of success while still maintaining their values. If you want to be more successful and gain valuable insight from seasoned business leaders, then you're in the right place. And this podcast was designed for you. My name is Clay Vaughn, and I'm best known as the CEO of Reverent, a full-service agency that helps business leaders market their business and share their story. I'm sitting down with leaders from every industry to hear their process, the lessons they've learned, and how they've been able to achieve the success every leader hopes for. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Good Business. Today, I have an amazing person here joining us on on this episode, Alex Barker. I'll just tell you this. The reason I wanted to have him on is there was a considerable hit to our economy two years ago in 2020, and a lot of businesses did not make it. I mean, all of us, including all five of my businesses, we were all wondering, are we going to be able to pull through this? And so what I really was intrigued by is when I heard Alex's story about how he responded to the COVID-19 pandemic and how he was able to pull his company into an even greater stage of success as a result of his pivots. So Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to have this conversation. I feel like I'm going to learn a lot. I know when we did our pre-production call, I was just even further blown away at how you handled everything. And so Alex, would you mind introducing, tell us what you do. Tell us about your business. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, my name's Alex Barker. Um, I kind of oversee a lot of what we do here at District Roasters. We are a uh, a coffee roasting company kind of on the surface. Um, I'd say that if you were to meet me on any given day, there's you maybe not too much different than any other coffee roasting company, but ultimately um, we are driven by a few key motivating pieces and um, yeah, so on a daily basis, my job is overseeing a small team of folks who uh, pack and fill orders for online customers, uh, wholesale orders, and then we also do some white labeling, uh, roasting for other folks across the city. And um, yeah, so I myself do all the roasting um, and then kind of some of the more other pieces um, and sales and things like that. But on a day-to-day basis, um, that's me. We've existed as a company since 2015. I've been involved uh, since about late 2016 to the present. Um, I was in the room when it was started, but I did not start it myself. So Alex, uh, you you actually were one of our vendors for a while prior to COVID. And we I felt really bad when we had to say that we can't buy your coffee anymore when we uh, closed up our offices when COVID hit. I'll, I'll say this though, my, my team kept on buying coffee from you. And you gave them a path to do that. And I think they still do. I don't know who all still subscribe to it, but yeah. So Alex, I'd love it if you could just tell us what happened. Uh, how did you How did you guys, as a as pretty much a wholesale uh, coffee company, I mean, y'all were doing a lot of sales to coffee shops and businesses and that sort of thing. So how did you respond to that? What, what was the state of the business in January of 2020? And what was the state of the business in April of 2020? Because that four month period that that shifted everything for everyone. Yes, without a doubt. Um, 
you know, going off of 2019 uh, was at that point the best year we had had. We were really excited. We had gained a lot of momentum. Um, first couple of years for our company were very, a lot of personnel changes, a lot of didn't know our identity or what we were doing. And so it finally felt, um, you know, late 2018 into 2019 that we were finally getting a rhythm for who we are, what we were doing, where we were in the market. And so we were really excited going into 2020. Um, it was looking like, oh, you know, 2019 was great. 2020 is just going to be even better. It's going to be the best year we've ever had. Um, at that point, I think uh, the number was somewhere it was definitely north of 50%. Um, I'd say probably in the 60% range was wholesale. That was, um, I as a person was geared towards business to business sales. Um, I, I'm just not as familiar with direct to customer marketing and so forth. So it's easy for me to walk into a place to capture the attention of someone to engage with them where they need to be and to provide them hopefully with a service that works. And so that was where I had focused a lot of my time and attention. Um, also, you can grow a business a lot faster for someone who buys a lot of coffee versus one bag every two weeks or something like this. So um, then this virus thing started rolling through. Then I started seeing, you know, the coasts are locking down uh, restaurants coffee shops, churches. Those are probably my three main wholesale accounts at the time. Uh, all three of those were set to close. And um, I sat there kind of figuring, oh, so what are we going to do? Uh, all this business is going to dry up here really soon. Um, I have purchasing commitments for green coffee. I have uh, farmers in countries who are trying to figure out what's going to happen to the work that they're doing and the coffee that they're producing for next crop. Um, and we were all just were very uncertain. And so at that time, um, we had an online store and I feel grateful that that was already set up because it was something, it was something that I didn't have to go build from ground up. But what we did is um, really kind of just focused our attention and called all of our customers to um, say, hey, uh, we want to try and make this work. Um, we've got an online store. We haven't done much with it. We started sending out direct customer emails, asking folks if they would want to take the coffee home with them as their works were pushing them that way. And uh, we feel so grateful that people responded to that. And through that, um, you know, started reading some books, listening to some different podcasts and trying to figure out how we could really grow into that market. Um, it was something that was a very foreign concept to me. I can't say I'm a whiz or an expert on it now, but I do feel that we kind of found ourselves in the right place. And strangely enough, um, from a top line perspective, 2020 was a growth year over 2019, which was the best year we had had at that point profitability wise yeah it went down but because we had some you know we had shipping expenses at one point our shipping bill for one month was i think it was 2.7 times our rent um which was just like crazy i couldn't imagine i was shipping so many packages um but we were grateful to keep the lights on to keep the staff bills paid um to keep our suppliers paid and um really to ensure and build confidence with our farmers that we plan on continuing to buy your coffee. Um, and so keep putting in the work. Um, and so that was a, a big part of it. So that's in a nutshell. Can you tell me a little bit about where things stood with your email list? I know that most of our clients on the agency side, when COVID hit, they were kind of caught off guard. They had nothing as a, as a form of a backup plan. And the only clients of ours that did really well through the pandemic 
were the ones who pivoted away from trying to attract new customers and they pivoted towards just leveraging their current database of customers and former customers and contacts and and that did really well for them. Yeah. So what did that look like for you guys? Yeah, I'll agree with that sentiment. It certainly was not the time to try and sell myself uh, when people were trying to figure out if they were going to be able to pay their mortgage so um, or their employees or however. So yeah, we had, um, thankfully, a pretty large email list that had been collected, um, thankfully, through the online store without much work. Uh, we had a little ticker on our website that said, you know, sign up for our email newsletter. That was kind of the only proactive thing on that front. Um, we were engaged in local farmers markets for a long time. And thankfully, uh, they have a lot of tools that will both in an automated sense, collect those email addresses. And then uh, we just at that point said, oh, let's get a piece of paper out here. And let's actually like start just you know, old school, like put down your email and I'll put you in the list. I'll put you in the list. And um, what we really wanted to do was to continue to build. So I think going into it, we had at least a, a list of about three or 4,000 people. Now, how many of those were actually good? I, you know, whatever. We had collected them, but um, that list became more and more. And I don't have the specifics on, on how it grew, but we really did focus on trying to capture those emails and getting people into a funnel where we could um, send them, you know, whatever, however frequency they wanted. We didn't want to bombard people, but, um, yeah, having that list was huge because it was immediately, I mean, we would send an email and you'd see the sales come in and it was, it felt, uh, almost like you were kind of hacking the system. I'm sure any e-commerce super pro could tell you about more of that, but, uh, it, we felt very grateful to have had a lot of that in place. And I now definitely cannot speak highly enough of, um, always capturing that information and um, obviously in an ethical way, but uh, definitely getting as much of that as you can and um, and folks respond to it. I, I know that that was a really successful pivot for you guys, which is great. I'm so glad y'all are still here. Your coffee's amazing. You should check it out. Uh, what's, what's the name of your website? District Roasters? DistrictRoasters.com. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah. Y'all should definitely get yourself uh, a couple bags of coffee. And if you have an office in the greater Houston area, you should mm. definitely. Yeah. Uh, or anywhere in the U.S. I'll ship your coffee. Or anywhere in the yeah. U.S. Yeah. 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 Who am I? I? I shouldn't be trying to sell no. you. What am I talking Through about? Through this, I've gotten much better shipping rates from all my companies. I bet you have. So, yeah, that's yeah great. We, we can definitely uh, do that. So you've obviously learned a lot in regard to just how to pivot through this pandemic. What would you do differently if you could go back and respond differently to the pandemic and to how that that has happened? Or do you feel like that that is that that what you did was the right thing to do and the most profitable thing to do that you could that was available to you? Yeah, um, certainly. I think a lot of the decisions at the time were motivated out of a desire to survive. And so a lot of them were very quick. There wasn't a lot of thought that went into them. So, sir, I could go back and critique them, but I think that given the timeline and kind of how quickly we needed to pivot, because it was like that, I forget which week it was. Was it in March whenever we went into lockdown? But it was that week we had gone out wholesale orders. It felt like normal. Um, in fact, we felt grateful. Some customers had placed some rather large orders. And then it was like next week lockdown. And then my inbox went to just silent. It was like, oh, goodness, what are we going to do now? Um, 
so in that moment, it was a quick turn. We went and did it. Um, I think that in hindsight, specifically, I can speak to the coffee industry. Something I've always struggled with is um, having like a scarcity mindset. There's a lot, a lot of coffee roasters. There's a lot of coffee shops. But something that I've learned um, now six-ish years in this is that um, really there that that mindset's not going to get you anywhere. I think that having an attitude of abundance and realizing that every you know, most folks are drinking coffee in the morning, there's more than enough to go around. Um, and really, in the midst of that, that came later was a partnership. At first, we thought District Roasters has to survive. What I am grateful for that came three, four months down the road was Oh no, we as a coffee industry are going to work together. And and that's the probably the only thing I would have changed was to have more quickly reached out to some of my other roaster friends and said, how can we creatively work together um, in ways that maybe we wouldn't have before because people would consider us on paper to be competitors. But um, really we, we are we're going for the same goal because my goal is not money. That's not why I got into business. I my goal was to create a product that was making a difference in the world. That's the same motivation for many of my friends who also have coffee roasting companies. And so um, though we have different brands, what would, you know, we have the same goal. So we should, we should work together. So I do feel that I've actually become better friends and work a lot closer with um, those who on paper are competitors, but are are now just friends. So um, yeah, definitely reach out. It's good. I know that you would have loved to entertain strategies that were maybe a little bit more complementary with your uh, your quote unquote competitors what would that have looked like i mean i i know we're just kind of uh, we didn't rehearse this no, at all so yeah. uh, i apologize for putting you on the spot but i'm okay. i'm so intrigued like what what would that have looked like well one of the big concerns was like uh purchasing and like the green coffee price so you know we are we're, tra- we're in a we're trading a commodity more or less and the farmers there was a big concern about futures and we're now actually feeling the effects of that more than ever um the the way covid affected the coffee prices has finally made its way here and the um, cost of coffee is tremendously higher than it was and there's also some other political things that i'll go into that but um one of the things that we ultimately started doing that would have been easier had we started it sooner was um, like group buying. So at this time I'm going, oh, well, so my uh, ability to, my buying power is a lot lower because I don't have this wholesale customer who's ordering several hundred pounds of this particular coffee. And a lot of us are ordering from, um, or at least our coffee is coming through the same channels. So there, there are only about four major warehouses in the U.S. where coffee gets imported and stored. So most of everyone's coffee in my industry would go through one of those places. And so um, we have and continue to now as a result of this, um, when we're getting more special coffees where maybe that coffee wouldn't fill a full pallet, um, just either because there's not enough of it that was made because it's a particular micro lot, um, or just at that time, the cost of that coffee, it was just prohibitive to be able to do that. What we have done is say, oh, well, hey, you also want, you know, a pallet can hold about 10 bags of coffee, these 150 pound jute bags, and I am only going to be putting six on my pallet. Um, well, that leaves room for four. So I'll hit up my friend and say, hey, you know, are you ordering anything from this warehouse or do you have any coffee that you've uh, booked or committed to that's there that you need to get to your warehouse? And 
we'll split our shipping 60 40 you know and that will make it easier for him and for me because freight plays a big role in shipping these massive pallets of coffee and so um that was really cool um we're still doing that and i find that to be just a really way of of helping one another um get that coffee so uh that would be one and then uh, working then specifically with the um cooperatives and importing people who go find the farmers to reassure them that, you know, I myself, as well as, you know, Matt from this company or Chris from this company or whoever, we're, we're actually together committing to the coffee that you're making. And so rest assured, go out, do what you need to do. We'll sign those contracts now so that you know that that coffee is going to be taken care of, um, as opposed to, you know, in all those countries, I'd imagine that that the scarcity mindset could take over even in, in even greater ways where, I mean, just in general, coffee farmers are more or less tearing up their trees and planting things that make more money. And so to then see maybe an uncertainty in the future might even speed up that process. And we certainly wouldn't want that. So those are some of the ways that we ended up and still do partner with others. Um, yeah, I'd have to think on some others. Well, staff was another one, I would say, at like local markets and stuff. Um, our industry, unlike maybe some of the others, uh, it's super easy to share staff because a lot of the tasks are, are similar. Um, and, you know, at least on like the roasting side or specifically more on like the coffee service and barista side, you know, there's really no, there's no industry trade secrets or anything like this. So it's like, being able to say, oh, you know, I, I can't, you know, I've got three baristas and they're looking for work. Um, and it was really neat to see the coffee community all come together and say, well, we have an upcoming event that we booked and we need a barista. So we'll take them and we'll 1099 them or whatever, and we'll get it done. And so um, that was a, a really unique way that the community, because it's not just, you know, me, the roaster, um, you know, when coffee shops closed, uh, you know, a lot of people, don't give enough respect to the baristas and the people who have made a career. These are artists, you know, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people would consider barista to be kind of an entry level work um, in our industry. That would not be the case. We would not consider that people are career baristas. They make livings, they have families doing this and it is an, it is absolutely an art. Um, well, when all that closed, their ability to do their work of art uh, became almost zero immediately. And so working together to make sure that these people are provided for. And unfortunately, baristas are generally a position where most shops and companies are not offering benefits or anything of the sort. And so um, outside of, you know, the unemployment that was provided by our, our government, they just didn't have many options. And so that was a fun thing that came out of that. Wow, that's amazing. I'm sure that was stressful trying to figure out all of those pieces, but it's pretty incredible that you, you guys have chosen to set aside the com competition and choose to work together. That's that's amazing. I love it. So when it comes to, uh, you mentioned this earlier regarding what your coffee growers are running into right now. Uh, I mean, we're talking about all the political, the, I mean, the, the wars that are happening. Um, there's so many different things that are contributing to the increased price in coffee, yet people are still being taken advantage of. These farmers are still being taken advantage of. And from what I know about the story behind District, you guys set out to do something different. What, what does that look like? What's your mission uh, as it relates to District um, and how you treat your growers? Yes. Uh, the folks that 
put in the work to grow coffee. Most people haven't really thought too far, and I would encourage anyone listening to go just, you know, watch a video. Um, I could give Clay a few click YouTubes or whatever. He wants to put them in the show notes or whatever. But uh, there are just some great resources on how coffee gets to the cup. And you would be, most people would be amazed at just the amount of work that goes into these beans. Um, you know, one, one cherry on a coffee tree has two seeds in it, and, and that amounts to two beans in your cup. And so just the sheer number, and each one of those cherries has to be handpicked. So um, the amount of work that goes on in country is, is tremendous. And so for us, um, specifically, coffee grows almost exclusively in developing countries um, along the equator. Just you need elevation and temperatures and things. But um, historically, large companies have just exploited that reality by saying this is what we value this particular crop at. And it really doesn't matter what you have to think or say about it or the amount of work that goes into it. Um, for us, that's that's not sustainable. And I think that's one of the big things that motivates us is that coffee as an industry right now is not considered sustainable. There are more farmers tearing up their trees to grow other crops that will provide for their family than there are people growing coffee. So if we want our kids or the next generation to really enjoy the amount and the variety of coffees that we have today, we need to change our purchasing decisions. And so for us, we want to work as closely as possible with our farmers. We can't, I, I'm not going to claim that I can change the entire world, but what I can do is work with what I've got. And so um, I work with farmers as closely as possible. We want to know their names. We at least want to know that it's traceable to a particular family. And we want to know that the family um, whose coffee we are purchasing um, is being not just paid a fair wage, um, certainly it starts there. I'd consider that bare minimum. Like absolutely you should be paid um, what is, uh, you know, at least market, but we, we don't want, we want to go way above market and making sure that the work that they put in, they're able to provide for. But then more than that, that they're given the resources um, and the knowledge to be able to improve on the coffee that they have. And to know that if I make a better coffee that I will be able to then yield um, a higher pay for that coffee. And then that will be able to then help my family and all these other things. And so um, for us, the sourcing is very intentional. And in some cases, it's as direct as we're buying coffee from farms straight up. Like, you know, we've got an El Salvador coffee where um, the son, I think he's the third generation, you know, he came over to the U.S. to go to college, um, but his family still has a coffee farm in El Salvador. And he hit us up and said, I, you know, my dad's selling this coffee. He used to just sell it to these people, but he wants to go direct so that they can, you know, have a better life and living. And um, he helps him, helps his dad get that coffee here. And so we're able to buy that almost in a near direct way. Um, in other instances, there are NGOs, cooperatives, and small business initiatives that have set out to find farmers and to help them elevate the work that they do, um, all with a view towards ultimately just elevating the life of, of everyone involved. And so that's where it starts for us. Um, and then, yeah, that follows its way through the roasting process. I want to make sure that any of my staff feel cared for on the whole of their being, not just their paycheck, but that uh, they have a, a work-life balance that they find um, enjoyable, that they are not being worked to death, and that they um, love what they come in to do, uh, that the things that they're good at are able 
you're able to flourish in, things that they want to grow in, we'll give them the opportunities to grow in, and things that they don't like doing, um, hopefully someone else does like, and that we can all put everyone in the right place. When it comes to running a good business, you guys obviously care not only about running a good business from best business practices, you obviously have made good, wise pivots as COVID hit and as you've decided to partner with other uh, groups, uh, other quote unquote competitors, but you also value values. Uh, and and that's something that you don't necessarily see with your Folgers and Maxwell House coffee brands, where you actually care about the people who are handpicking all of these. And it, it's so easy to say, oh, that's just the hipster thing to do. Uh, oh, to roast coffee and say it's uh, hand handcrafted or whatever you call it. But the thing is, you guys are so much more focused on the mission behind creating sustainable uh, incomes for folks, not just locally, but internationally. And I, I love that. I love that approach. That's a business worth uh, worth advocating for, to say the least, which is why I'm very sad that we don't have control over the coffee in our co-working space. <laughs> just so you know, Alex, I've advocated for you since day one. And Mike, if you're listening... You should definitely, uh, you should definitely reach out to Alex. Um, <laughs> Mike, but, remember uh, me. We have yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> So, when it comes to what you would recommend, I mean, you guys, you mentioned you've been in the business since 2016. What would you recommend to maybe an entrepreneur who's, who's trying to figure out how to maintain um, that good business, but also maintain margins. So being focused on values and focused on margins, how do you balance that? Um, and, and what would you, what would you say to someone like that? I know I'm going completely off script here. So yeah, um, I feel like I'm always trying to learn more about how to, to live that out in my, in my daily. But I'd say one of the things that has been a theme of recently is, is being true to like that deepest part of who you are and the things that deeply motivate you. Um, if, if you don't hold these values yourself at a deep and core level, it would be very hard to run them out into the company. I feel very deeply that, that everyone has the ability and should experience love, joy, peace, happiness, fulfillment, and the things that they do, that would be all the way from the farmer, all the way to someone who buys a bag of my coffee. I want that for everyone. And so um, making sure that that is something that's a lived experience for me, and then is able to play out into the lives of those whom I interact with would be huge. Um, and then defining those individual core values, putting them on a piece of paper so that um, when decisions and opportunities come across the table, uh, you can take the opportunity and see how it fits with the core values. And we just recently had to put down an opportunity to be in a large big box store, but it just didn't fit the, the values. And it was one of those things that we kind of had to come to the decision that this doesn't make the most sense for us. We would have to compromise on some of these values we've called as core just for the sake of more money. Well, I didn't set out for money. That's not on the core numbers or the core list. And so we said, not right now. Nope. So I think that would be huge. Um, finding people, identifying people who you would say, 
exemplify the kind of character, the kind of values that you're going for, and then just putting yourself out there to get to know them, to be around them, not in a sense that you want to take what they have, not in a sense that you want to gain something. So not in a selfish way, but in a way of truly getting to know what fires and motivates this person. And, um, and then how can that kind of, I guess, energy for lack of a better word, but like motivate me. And as you surround yourself with these people, it, it becomes palpable and a lot easier to identify new ways in which you can explore those things. I love it. Well, Alex, honestly, I've been just so motivated by what, what you've shared, uh, encouraged and motivated. And so I appreciate you sharing all of this today. When we think about running a good business, uh, you mentioned this earlier, values. It is so incredibly important to be running a business that has clearly defined values. I love how how you defined yours. You said it was love, joy, peace, fulfillment. And what was the other one? Oh, uh, well, I had written these down. These these aren't our official core values, but these are things that motivate me as a person is that I, I would want all folks to have access to and enjoy things like love, joy, peace, fulfillment, and happiness. So that'd be a personal motivation. For district, we've got kind of our mission set online, which would be, you know, really good coffee um, that's uh, making a difference in the world and that all people along the way are, are cared for adequately. And so those are the kind of things that motivate us as a company. That's great. And what's really interesting is even though you use different words um, for the company versus you, they all still very closely align. And that's what makes a business so good is when your leadership are adhering to and living out those values that you set as a standard for your company. And so, Alex, I'm really excited for District as you guys continue to grow. And uh, we'll definitely check back in in the months and years to come. And uh, so for anyone who is interested in trying out your amazing coffee, Alex, how do they do that? How do they try it out? Uh, the easiest place is districtroasters.com. Uh, we actively ship orders Monday through Thursday. Uh, we're generally quick. People told us during the pandemic we were faster than Amazon. So, hey, um, I didn't say that, but we will do our best <laughs> to get the coffee to you as quick as possible. Um, if you're local to Houston, uh, we have a growing list of local wholesalers. If you have a local coffee shop that you love and you'd love to see our coffee in it, tell them about it. We'll do our best. Um, and uh, very specifically, we, we do participate in some local farmers markets. If you'd like to meet me, um, I'm in the cities of Houston in uh, the Heights area on the second and fourth Sunday of every month. So that's at 7th and Yale. And then I'm in the Rice Village area every Sunday morning. And that'll be the first and third Sunday of the month. Um, and that's um, off Kirby, kind of at Amherst um, in that area. So um, that's where you could, per well, Tomball Farmer's Market every Saturday too. That's way out there. Fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, definitely check out District Roasters. Go meet Alex. And thank you everyone for tuning in today. Thank you for joining me today, Alex. And we'll see you guys next week on Good Business. If you like this podcast, please subscribe now and share with your friends, family, and other business leaders. You can learn more about each guest and the resources we discuss at www.claybon.com. And if you're a business leader looking to market your business and share your story, check out my company, Reverent, at www.reverent.media. We'll see you next time on Good Business. Yeah.